have no outline necessarily for tonight. Just going to go over another passage uh, of Scripture. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And I'm going to have to ask everyone here that you listen very, very closely because... Uh, if you do not, we will. Uh, I, I will not be able to communicate uh, the things that are here. If you want a title, the the uh, title for tonight's message is "Hard Words" because uh, this is a very difficult passage, and there are many attempts to uh, explain this. And I I have been over it several times in. In our time studies here as pastor of this church, and and I do believe tonight I've got a more clear understanding and, and hope that I can impart that tonight. Let's just start reading in verse 25. It says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand, or else, while the other is a great, yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath hear, ears to hear, let him hear. Now, these words that Jesus spoke, uh, I've heard many people try to, well, the word hate, really doesn't mean hate. And my question has always been to myself and to anyone else, well then, why is the word hate there? Well, if you look up the original Greek and, and try to find the word there, you'll find out that it has a definition. It has a direct translation into the English language. Hate. Uh, it's the right word. There is no other word that you can put in there and be honest in your translation. And I, I would hope that we would have none that would be sitting here to do, uh, tonight going, Oh, wow, that's easy. I hate my dad. I, I hate my 
wife. I hate my. I hope we don't have anyone here that that is like that. I hope on the other side of this thing we have people. What what does Jesus mean? And um, because we we understand we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and and Jesus, if you were here Sunday night, Jesus condemned those that said. Of old time it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. I promise you, you can't find in the verse, a verse in the Bible where God commands his people to hate. That was a tradition. And uh, that was not the Bible. Of course, what is the natural response toward your enemy? Uh, we had people during World War II that loved and embraced Nazism right here in the United States. We, we had a word for that. We called them what? Traitors. Because they were undermining the direction and the goal of putting that evil madman Adolf Hitler to an end. And uh, praise God that that did happen. And, and yet, here's Jesus telling us, so let's set the context here. And we're going to spend most of our time right here in this passage. But then I want to go to one other passage that I think uh, really ought to be in, in our hearts and minds more of a parallel passage uh, than anything else, but I'm not going to tell you where we're going till we get there. But first, let's set the context here. The context is Jesus, verse 1 of chapter 14, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath day. So, Jesus, it's a Sabbath day. Jesus has gone into one of the houses of the chief Pharisees to eat bread. And, of course, you understand that you are allowed to eat on the Sabbath, but all the cooking had to be done before sundown on Friday night. All the meal was prepared the day before because there could be no work on the Sabbath day. And so... uh, and, and the chief purpose, as you read chapter 14, was to entrap Jesus, was to catch him in his words. Now, can I ask you, what is more work? Cooking a fine meal or plotting and planning the entrapment uh, of another human being? I mean, these Pharisees were breaking the Sabbath all over the place. Uh, they were transgressing God's laws far more, and Jesus was teaching them. He was trying to explain things to them. And finally, uh, just before we start our passage here, as Jesus was leaving, the last thing that he told them was the story of the marriage supper. He said, a great man had a marriage, and everybody began to make Mistake. I mean, make excuses. And they didn't come. And finally, the Lord sent his servants out. And he said, go into the highways and byways and compel them to come in. And, and he ends it with this. Let's look at verse 20, 
uh, 4, For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Now, if you read verse 15, he's talking about supper in the kingdom of God. Jesus was looking at those Pharisees and he says, None of you are going to taste of eternal life. None of you are going to be seated at me with that banquet in the kingdom of God because you're holding on to your traditions and you're holding on to your... In order to hold on to your traditions, you have to deny me. And as Jesus leaves, we have a great multitude following him. Of course, we understand they're headed to Jerusalem and Passover. But let me ask you a question. Do you think one of the reasons why people might have been following Jesus, this was not a privately done thing. Uh, People heard Jesus' condemnation of these Pharisees and and the... Let me tell you, the Pharisees were the local enforcers of the law of God. There was a lot of what you and I might consider tyranny going on. These were the judges of all of the traditions. And if the Pharisees found fault, they had no problem pointing those faults of the disciples out to the Lord Jesus. They had no problem pointing out what they perceived Jesus' faults to be. Now, when you have somebody running around being busybody over everybody else, setting themselves up as some type of demigod is the word, little god, trying to control other people's lives, and here comes Jesus along and condemns that, hey, I think I like that guy. How about you? Amen? And so... We, we have some things going on here that are very positive, and yet now Jesus turns to this multitude, and he says, if you're going to follow me, here's what you've got to do. Jesus is dividing the followers from the disciples. Now, this is Thursday night. This is our Bible study. I would think that most of us that are here tonight, the vast majority would say, yes, pastor, that's me. I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Could we say amen to that if you agree with that? If that is your heart, that is my heart's desire to be a disciple. And here Jesus says, okay, I'm going to tell you what it's going to cost. He says, if you're going to come after me, I want you to hate your father, your mother, Your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and your own life also. And by the word, by the, we've already touched on this. The word hate means hate. To hold in very strong dislike, to detest, to bear malice to. The opposite of love, that is the verb form. The noun form says an emotion of extreme dislike or aversion. Detestation, abhorrence, hatred. Now that's pretty strong words. In fact, I remember growing up, uh, every once in a while, one of my brothers or I would say, Oh, I hate that! my mom was, You don't hate anything! 
And, and I mean, we got punished for using that word. And here Jesus says, this is what we have to do. Now, one of the points that we can use to clarify this is the last one. How do you hate your own life? You look in the mirror and you go, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, right? No, save that for the psychiatrist and the self-help groups. Uh, by the way, you don't get any help by helping yourself. If you're going to get help, you got to get it from Jesus. Amen? you got to get it from... Help comes from the outside, not the inside. And so, let's, let's take a moment and examine what happened when you got saved. Did you give up and surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Did you come to a point to where we might could use the word hatred for what you had done with your life when you surrendered it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you agree with me there? Does that, does that shed some light on this thing? Does, does that help us understand what it means to hate your own life? I had to bring my life, sin and all, on a platter with every rotten thing exposed to the Savior who died on the cross to pay for those very things. How many of you, that thought, that picture there just kind of wrinkles you inside just a little bit? It ought to. Because, see, you can't make your sin better. You have to bring it just as it is to the Savior. And the thing that we need to understand is the closer I get to the Savior, the more horrible and awful my sin really becomes. Are, are we all together on this? And so when I got saved, I gave up on everything I had and I said, here, Lord, that's what it means, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, what? The Lord. I surrender it. I give it to you. What did Paul say? And did count it but dung. I think the word hatred fits in there really well, don't you? And so, that's what we did with our own life. Now, how does that apply to my wife? Doesn't the Bible tell me I'm supposed to love my wife? Doesn't it say, fathers, love your children? And yet Jesus says right here that you're supposed to hate them. And one time I tried. It was supposed to be a family camp. My wife's laughing because she remembers the story. And I just felt impressed that this was the passage that we needed to deal with. And when it was all said and done, I realized that, yes, this was the passage, but nobody there really wanted to deal with it. 
And we'll be touching on that in just a moment. You see, how many of you have ever been in a relationship with another human being where the person had ulterior motives and desires for maintaining that relationship? That's not a very pleasant place to be now, is it? How many parents have tried to relive their lives and settle their mistakes and shortcomings by purposely driving their children in certain directions and towards certain things? That's, that's a very terrible thing for a parent to do. How many of you have brothers or sisters who tried to take advantage of you? Tried to push you and tried to get you to do things. You see, human relationships are very complex sometimes. You know why? Because we refuse the simple answers that are in God's Word. We do not love another human being to get something from them. Because that's not love. That's manipulation. But you don't understand that would actually be the best thing it may be. But it's still manipulation. Only God has the right to demand His first interest in your life. That's what Jesus is talking about here. I don't know how many times people, how many stories I know, and... Uh, some of them are are from here, but uh, but many 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 of the stories I'm thinking about right now are stories I've heard from other pastors, where a, a loved one will come and they will weep and pray at the altar for years for someone to get saved, and finally that person will get saved. And who is the number one person that keeps that new Christian from being the Christian that God wants him to? but the one that prayed and wept all of those years for him to get saved in the first place. Why? Well, many times a a wife will weep and pray for her husband, and then once he gets saved, he starts trying to take on the authority and the place and the position that God has for him. Hey, wait a minute. I've been running everything here for the last 25 years. That's not your job. Whoa, wait a minute. I've had I've known the story of parents who say, I, I liked my kid better when he was unsaved and doing those horrible things because at least he wasn't going to go be a missionary. And I'm sitting there going, where does that foolishness come from? Uh, it comes right from here. Because there wasn't a severing in this passage. There was, the Bible word is hatred. For the things that I want that life to benefit me in our relationship. Are, are we together here? 
You see, later in the passage, Jesus is going to say, you can't be my disciple if you don't forsake all and follow me. Isn't that a terrifying thought? I got to give up on everything. I got to surrender everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, And we look at this next verse here, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And I want you to understand that this is less than two weeks from the crucifixion. These words were going to be put in a context that was going to be rather terrifying to the people that heard them. When Jesus said, you're going to bear your cross and follow me, Jesus was talking about a real cross that he was taking to a real place and a real death that was going to happen and it was going to be his. You know, if you'll follow it right from the beginning of the Bible, you'll find that the sub-theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible is God's love to us and his great sacrifice that we could be reconciled to Him as sinners. That is the theme of the Bible. The sub-theme is, if I'm going to have Jesus' life in me, if I'm going to have God's life by faith, i got to give up on this life. I have to die to myself. Uh, Jesus said, die daily, didn't He? Uh, and, and the word die there means death, just like the word hate means hate. It, it's got to be a complete severance here. A death. A final ultimatum. Now let's look at the next few verses here and we'll try to build this up because Jesus is not turning the pressure down. He, he's not going to uh, uh, kind of say, well... I've heard this explained, well, listen, you know, you love your wife and you love Jesus, but if you're going to compare your love for your wife to your love for Jesus, it should look like hatred in comparison. Now, does that make sense to anybody out there? Because it it never has to me. I I don't get that. How, How in the world can you compare levels of love? If it's love, it's love. If it's hatred, it's hatred. Hatred is the opposite of love. You see, it is the death of me. I've got to give it all up. I've got to stop expecting anything. I mean, if Vladimir Putin came on the news and and said, I want to give every American a check for $10,000. Now, he couldn't do it because he doesn't have enough money. But let's just pretend that he did. What would be your first thought? Something's up. This guy is no friend of the freedom that is in America. He is a totalitarian. He is for the subjugation of of the entire world under the communist foot, if he can get it accomplished. 
Praise God, he's not been very successful at it. But we would not think, I would not think, no thinking person would believe that it was out of benevolence or love that this thing was happening, would you? Because enemies don't do that. Not unless they're going to get some advantage over you. How many of you ever play chess? It's a fun game. It's uh, you got to work at it. It's one of those thinking games. And I, I got a little app on my computer, and all of a sudden, the computer moves the queen into a position where I can take it with, with not suffering the loss of anything. And I'm sitting there going, what is going on here? I take my thumb, and I go, whoop, take the queen. And the next thing the screen goes is, checkmate. You see, that's how the devil works, isn't it? I lost, by the way. Big time. I got his queen, but I lost the game. You see, that kind of love, quote-unquote, is not love at all. We're going back to the manipulation thing. That's what we got to get out of our lives. Amen? Jesus is saying, you have got to die to yourself And I have got to move through the text here. We're going to get two examples. Jesus says, the building of a tower and the fighting of a war. How many of you remember that building on Crescent Street, just one block south of Astoria Boulevard? It was a ten-story building, and the, the steel frame was there. Just stuck up in the air, just a steel frame for years and years and years. I see it every time I came off the Tribal Bridge. And every time I saw that building, I was going, somebody tried to build a tower and they couldn't finish it. Well, they just finished it like three years ago. And I'm sitting there going, wow, somebody put that building together finally. It's not very, it, I think it's ugly, but that's I, not my building. So, uh But I remember just seeing that building there, standing, and I'm sitting there. Somebody got in trouble with the building department. Something happened, and they couldn't finish the building. That's a terrible thing. The other has far more dire consequences if you're fighting a war and you're going to lose. You need to do everything in your power to settle that thing before the war starts. Because people are going to die for nothing. You know what Jesus is trying to put across here? There are no half measures in discipleship. You, you can't be. We, we love a variable rheostat. How many know what that is? That means you can turn the heat up one degree or even a half a degree at a time. You see, it's not like the old ones where you had high, low, and off. You could turn that thermostat up just until you got really comfortable because low was always cold and high was always too hot. Jesus said, no, no variable rheostat, no degrees of discipleship here. You're either a disciple or you're not. 
And the reason he said that I believe he's saying that is let's just finish this out here. He said, So likewise, whosoever, verse 33, be he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. It, if you want to hold on to that one little thing, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Then he uses the same example he uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Salt is good. But if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Salt that has gotten wet is no longer salt. I've given the example every once in a while. It used to be, I think we got it salt now. You'd turn the salt shaker over and nothing would come out. With a little closer examination, you realize that one somebody had been going uh, to the salt shaker and, and left some residue there and it caked the salt up and nothing was getting out of the salt shaker. Now, how many of you feel just a little queasy after that? Yeah, that's... Uh, so what happened? Got rid of the salt. We live in a very septic society. Uh, I want to challenge you. They did not have trash cans and garbage pickup and all of this stuff in Jerusalem like we do. If you were going to get rid of your refuge, you had to take it to the city dump. You had to, uh, One of the sides of the Mount of, of Jerusalem was called the Mount of Corruption. In fact, people who hate the concept of hell uh, use the word Hades because it was commonly referred to as the garbage dump. And, of course, there would be spontaneous combustion and flames. They said, see, that's where hell was developed. It was from the garbage dump. No, no, no. Hell is a real place. What makes hell hell? It's not the fire. It's not the darkness. It's the separation from God. That's what makes hell what it is. But what he's saying here is that salt that has lost its favor, it's not even worth a trip to the garbage heap. You can just pour it out on the road. Right where you are. It's, how can you be worth less than garbage? Not even worth a trip to the trash can. That, that's what the picture Jesus is painting here. Now quickly, before we lose our time, let's go to the book of First John. First John, way in the back of your Bible. Chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. We're going to read the first five verses here. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, 
And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. How many of you already see the correlation between this passage and the one that we've been studying? Where does it start? John is saying, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is being born of God. If you love God the Father, he that begat, you're going to love God the Son who was begotten of him. What John is saying here is that everything starts with faith in the God of the Bible. You cannot have love, true biblical love, without having God living in your heart. Can unsaved people have affection one for another? Yes. They can have affection. Uh, There are many people that have had very happy and wonderful marriages all their life long. There are many who have laid down their life in love for their country, who, saddest of all, never knew the God of love. They were making a great imitation But God is love. Amen? That's 1 John chapter 4. And so it starts with faith in God. And if I'm going to love other people, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. You see... If I will love God first, I must love my wife correctly. If I love God, I must truly and biblically love my children. Otherwise, I'm disobeying the commandments of God. But if that love comes From me, what is going to happen? I'm going to run out of me. But if that love comes from God, I can't run out of God. Are we together now? So, in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ... I have to give him everything. I have to hate my family. But once I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that living faith will produce living works, which is love for the brethren. You see... This is how we know. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. And how do we fight the world in which we live? It's not by carrying little signs around saying, I hate sin or the Pope is a dope or all of these things. I've actually seen people do this stuff. And uh, I've seen people carry signs. 
uh, in a, some picture that came somewhere, either on the internet or whatever. I don't watch TV anymore, but it, it said God hates queers, and, and they were carrying these signs. And you have that uh, Westwood Baptist Church that would go around with all of those vile accusations against our military people and try to disrupt their funerals and test uh, uh, aspersion and, and, and vile language. And that. That's not God. That's the devil working. Or just because I run around saying, I love everybody. That's my book. They're both just as wrong. And just as senseless. I mean, how many of you love it when you go somewhere and somebody just gets out the syrup bottle and pours it all over you? Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, you just, you just made my day so wonderful. I'm sitting there going, liar, liar, liar. You know, you pick up the phone, you're trying to solve a problem and... We are so glad you called our company today. We will do everything in our power. I'm sitting there going, liar, liar. My wife says, they can hear you. I said, no, they can't. Uh, And if they can, at least I'm being honest. They're not telling the truth. But if I love God, guess what I have to do? I have to love people. I have to love my enemies. How do I overcome the world? It's not through fighting the world and cursing the darkness. It's by shining the light. I was uh, working a um, very small primary election. You may have heard about it last Tuesday. And... uh, one of the ladies I was working with, we began talking. Oh, you're a preacher. And, and she said, I'm one of those heathens. I said, well, you're the one we're really interested in here. She said, well, if I come walking in, she says, you won't see me. I said, no, no, our church is small. I'll see you. Uh, I'll, I'll know that you're coming in. I won't embarrass you in any way. But... I said, listen, I said, all I want to be able to do is give you enough information from this book that you can make an honest and informed decision about Jesus Christ. Isn't that love? To let someone make a decision based on Westwood Baptist Church about the God of heaven? Those people don't serve the God of heaven. The Bible says so. We can prove that. No more than the Mormons or the uh, Jehovah's Witness or any of these other cults and isms and schisms that are out there. You see, when I'm willing to lay down my own life and despise it and surrender it completely and totally, as awful as it is to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's how I get saved. Amen? And when I do that with everybody I have contact with, same thing. That's what Jesus means when he says, hate not. 
and I surrender my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and I obey Him. Now I am free. There's a verse about that in the Bible. Know the Son and you shall be free indeed. Amen. Now I am free to love other human beings. And I don't have to expect anything back. I don't have to not be hurt by another human being. If they choose to hurt or to try to injure me, what did Jesus say? Blessed are ye when men shall persecute you. It doesn't get me more points with God. But I can trust God when other people hate me because I'm trying to give them the love of God. Amen? You see, discipleship is not just getting by. You can't have half-spoiled salt. It's either rotten or it's good. You can't have a half-disciple. It's either a non-disciple or a disciple. You've got to make the choice. If you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's only going to cost one thing. Everything. Amen? But when I surrender it to Christ, what do I get back? Everything and more. Because now I can truly love and care about people in spite of what they're trying to do to me. People are non-topical. Only Jesus is. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, I